Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to wrap up our Thessalonians series today. And uh, as you do, I was going to share with you, we have an AC unit at our house. It's not working exactly right. Uh, It's not cooling. It's starting to get a little warmer. We turn that thing on and uh, it's not cooling the way that we wanted it to. So Jackie called the AC folks and we discovered there are two sorts of calls you can make, two appointments that you can make. The first one is a maintenance call. All right, you can schedule them, come out, do a little maintenance. And that will be, you know, it's not broke. We just don't want it to get broke. So come out and and look at it, right? There's also a repair call you can make, a repair appointment. And that one is, it's broke. We need you to come out and fix it. Those two calls, as you can imagine, cost different amounts. The maintenance is cheaper than the repair call. And that's just something that you learn in life. You learn that preventative maintenance is often cheaper than repair or than fixing what is broken. It got me thinking about home maintenance and and things around the house. And so I looked up, I like lists like this. I looked up the most neglected preventative maintenance things around a house, okay? Um, I found a Washington Post article because when I think home improvement, I think WAPO, all right? And so uh, here's an article from WAPO. And what I thought we would do is... If you've done this in the last year of your life, then uh, just lift, lift your hand up, all right? I'm going to read these things. If you've done this, you do not need to be a homeowner. If you're in a, an apartment or a dorm or something, you can do some of these, okay? So uh, raise your hand if you in the last year have cleaned your refrigerator condenser coils. Okay. How many of you have cleaned your refrigerator ice cube maker? Oh, it's a few of you, all right? Some of you are like, yeah, you should have seen what was in there. I don't do a preventative maintenance. This was gross, all right? Uh, Clean the bathroom exhaust fan twice a year. I read that and I was like, I had no idea you were supposed to clean that. Mine's going on, what, 16 years? Um, Clean the dryer vent, not just the lint screen. Not the part in the dryer, the part in the wall. Any of y'all do that? Okay, all right. Lift your hand if your dryer vent goes up. All right, yeah, those are the worst. Yeah, so much, okay. Flush the water heater for it to perform better and last longer. Anybody flush their water heater just, just for the fun of it? Like, what are you doing today? I think I'm gonna empty the water heater. I empty the water heater every morning. I stand in there until it's gone. Um, sweep the chimney. <laughs> yeah, sweep the chimney. That's important, you should do it. Clean the dishwasher. A few times a year. Yeah. Some of y'all are cleaning your dishes with a dirty dishwasher. It's gross. I'm just kidding. I didn't know you were supposed to clean this. Did y'all know that there's like a, like a filter down in the bottom you're supposed to pull out and clean out? There is. I was shocked. I was shocked. You're supposed to clean that. It's like, it's not on the list, but how many of you have cleaned your vacuum lately? Yeah. You got to turn that thing on itself. You know, I, I feel like it's a little vengeful. Uh, keep your washing machine mildew free. You done that? I don't even know how you do it. There were no instructions. It just says to do that. Remove calcium deposits from your shower heads. 
all right? And inspect tree limbs near your home for safety. Anybody? All right. Some of your houses are about to fall apart. They're just horrible. One of my favorite features of our house is we have no trees, but all of our neighbors do. So I get like all the, the benefits of the tree, but I don't have to worry about that. At the close of 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 5, uh, there is this preventative maintenance list. That's what it is. If you read it, he's pretty much saying, these are some good things that you need to do. We know that because, or we assume that, because that's not the typical way that Paul writes. When he writes about things that we are supposed to do, he'll typically say, I know that you are dealing with this, and so here's some ways to fix that, right? But because this list is really short and terse and a bunch of things all piled up together, then they are more likely preventative things. He's not saying that they are actually struggling in these areas, as I would say, I don't think our church is struggling in these areas, but they are still beneficial in that you are supposed to, you know, do these now so that you can prevent problems later. Let me read the, the passage to you. This is, like I said, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll begin in 13 and read down to 22. 13 through 22. I'm sorry, let me see if that's correct. 12 down to 22. It says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you and regard them with very or regard them very highly in love because of the work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Verse 15. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good and stay away from every kind of evil. A list of preventative maintenance. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. But before we do, let's pray. God, we do thank you for lists like these. Some of us are just wired this way, Lord. We want to know exactly what it is that you expect. And so when we approach lists like this, I pray that we would, as a church, measure our church up to this sort of list. God, where we fall short, I pray that you would give us strength and courage to collectively and in unity work toward better reflecting you to this world by this list and the other things that you've told us to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 23, 22, uh, like I said, is a list. It's in, it's um, right after this, Paul is going to say, pretty much he's signing off. He's saying goodbye. Now there are um, some depths to that. There's meaning in those final passages. But for the most sake, right after this, Paul is going to say, see you later, right? So in this list, what we find are what I'm calling preventative maintenance. And it is a challenging section of scripture to preach. This is up here not to, not for you to read it, right? It's too small. It's not really easy to read. Um, but this is the text. In preaching, if any of you are thinking about preaching one day, all right, um, preaching or teaching the Bible, one of the shortcuts, one of the ways to do it, is to find what we call the imperative verbs, all right? You find the imperative verbs, you find the verbs in which Paul or James or Jesus or something is telling you what to do, all right? And you find that, 
And then that's the point of the sermon, right? Paul says to do this. And so we preach and say, hey, Paul says to do that. The challenge with this text, as you can imagine, is that there are 15 imperative verbs in this text right here. All of the red words there are imperative. The two green verbs are not imperative, but they're still commands, all right? So this is 17 um, commands. So are y'all ready for a 17-point sermon, all right? Is that what, that's what this would be? Typically, but I didn't want to do that to myself nor to you. And so what I did was I kind of looked at the text and I was trying to find some sort of common thread, some sort of common uh, way to understand what Paul is talking about here. And, and what I came up with was give, the word G-I-V-E, give or generosity, give or generosity. All of these have to do with generosity. And then furthermore, if you step back that way, you can sort of start to lump them together in categories, into groupings that have similarities to them. So with the theme of generosity or with the theme of giving, there arises five categories. All right. So this morning I have for you a five point sermon which I know that if I had started that way, you would be like, oh my, five points, this is going to take forever. But it's not 17 points, all right? So, so uh, count your blessings, all right? So the first one here is in 12 through 13. Now we, that's Paul, Silvanus, Timothy, the apostles, we ask you brothers and sisters to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. All right. All right. So we need to start by talking about church leadership. It does sound a little self-serving for me to tell you to respect the leaders in your church, to put some respect on my name. That is, um, that is essentially what Paul is saying here. And I honestly did think about skipping these two verses. I was just going to skip them and start in the next parts, you know, because I, I thought about standing up here and saying, hey, y'all read the first part there and apply as you see fit. Um, and here's the rest of it. But as a Bible preacher, Bible teacher, you, you're not allowed to just randomly skip things that make me feel uncomfortable. So here's what Paul is teaching the Thessalonian church to do. Preventative maintenance, you need to give respect to the leaders of your church. Give respect to the leaders of your church. He says that they labor, which means to work to the point of exhaustion, that they lead, which is similar to shepherding, that they're out front, they're going to take the bullets first. They're going to hear all of the complaining and hear all of the gossip and hear all of the pain, try to lead forward, and that they are to admonish, that these people are going to admonish. Admonishing means to correct somebody that does not want to be corrected. If you have a coach, let's say, like a, a basketball coach or a weight loss coach or something like that, you're going to the coach, to the person to instruct you in something that you want. You want to play basketball better. So they tell you, you need to dribble this way or dribble with this hand or, or pivot in this regard. And so you do what they say because you want to do what they say. Admonish means you don't want to do what they say. So part of my job description is to stand up here and tell you what you don't want me to tell you. That's important because sometimes people will leave churches because they thought that the, the preacher didn't make them feel good about themselves, right? It's literally part of our job, all right? Now, I'll hear people come out and say something like, well, he, you really stepped on my toes today or you were kicking me in the shins or that sort of stuff. And, and I never want to do that. 
I don't want you to leave or feel bad about yourself. And I hope that you do not feel bad about your, you should not ever feel bad about yourself. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You ought to though think, but I could do better. All right. So that's kind of the point to say admonishment. Jesus loves me right where I am, but he loves me enough not to keep me here. The labor, the lead, and the love is to these people who do this, your pastors, your preachers, you are to give them recognition and to regard them very highly in love. Recognition, think about like recognizing somebody. You're like walking through Totesuck and you see somebody and you're like, oh, I didn't even recognize you with the mullet and the overalls, um, that sort of stuff. You just don't recognize people. You don't see them for who they are. The Bible tells Paul that, Paul tells uh, the Thessalonian church there that you are to recognize, to see your leaders as they really are. Not in some sort of like shiny, holier than thou, up on a pedestal sort of way, because that's not how we really are. We're just normal people with normal families, normal fears and anxieties and, and desires, that, all that sort of stuff. So you recognize them as they really are, and you regard them very highly in love. Now, I think most churches do respect their pastors. I think generally, I think our church respects uh, me and Pastor David. Um, but the, the key here is in love or and, the key here is in love. That you would respect them not out of duty, meaning that I have to respect them or lightning's gonna strike me, but I respect them because I love them, because I have made a, a conscious decision to um, sacrifice on their behalf. Recognize and regard in love. These both push against the very fiber of who we are today. As humans and as Western and Americans, we generally, are skeptical of any sort of leadership uh, through a bunch of reasons. Like the primary reason is that a bunch of leaders have done really bad things, right? And so we step back and we look at leadership skeptically. We hold it in question. And so it's very hard for us to respect and to recognize and see in our way of thinking, generally speaking, if you got to a leadership position, whether it is through a corporation or through politics, then you probably did something dirty in order to get to that position. That's just sort of the base way that we think of leadership. And so this really challenges us to step back and to regard and respect our church leaders. For one reason, because God established them, put them in place. We as Baptists believe that God's will for our pastor is revealed through prayer and the confirmating or the confirming vote of a church. That if a church is in unity on this decision, then that is God through the Holy Spirit confirming this decision. We practice that. We do that. So then we ought to, if we believe that's how God selects leaders, then we ought to respect them um, for not only their position, but also for what they do, right? These things that are mentioned there. I, I find that most churches will disrespect their leaders in two regards. One is a past and one is a present. In the past regard, they, are, um, they will tend to disrespect their pastors in that they've had bad pastors before. And so they start to think, well, I've been burned before by pastors. I've seen the ugly side of ministry or pastoring or something like that. Therefore, all pastors are bad in some regard. So what I would say is, to a degree, I see how you get there. 
I really do. I mean, I've had bad pastors before. I've had two in particular that I worked with. They weren't only my pastor, they were my boss, all right? And so I've had that circumstance and I can see how you could start to feel that way. But what we need to do is be very careful that we are not taking the guilt of someone else and unfairly putting it on the shoulders of someone who wasn't here, didn't do it, doesn't know. You know, that sort of scenario. So that's a regards to the past. I can see how we get there, but we ought not stay there. And then there's a regards to the present, this unreasonable expectations. And everybody deals with unreasonable expectations. I'm not saying that it's unique for pastors. It's just that on some regard, one in particular, is that somewhere along the lines, we have begun to think that pastors know everything. Like we talk directly to God in the morning. There's a daily briefing. I let him know about you and he lets me know about you, you know, and we're sharing this kind of stuff. And, and I'm telling you, it is true. I actually posted this this week. Almost always the pastor is the very last one to know. Almost always. Either people were too nervous to tell me because it involved somebody's sin or they don't want to bother me, right? I hear this a lot. And so they don't tell me. And I'm walking, you know, just happy all through life. I don't know that they're mad. I don't know what they said. I don't know this sort of stuff. Sometimes people will come up to me and say, did you, did my wife tell you that I'm struggling with that sin before you preached that sermon? And I was like, no, no, she didn't tell me. And they're like, well, then how did you know? I said, I didn't until right now, you know? This is when you confessed to me, you know? I, I don't know, I don't know. On that post, a friend of mine said something along the lines of, he says, I'll often say in my sermons that I'm just shooting down a dark hole. It's not my fault if you crawled down there, all right? And so that's a lot of how preaching goes, okay? I promise you, I promise you. I, I wanna say almost never am I preaching at something. I'm not. And I don't know any preachers that are. We're just preaching what it says. All right. If it hit you, that's you and the Holy Spirit. All right. So um, there's this past guilt we'll put on. They have to answer to past bad leadership. Or there is a current uh, or unreasonable expectations. And like I said, everybody's job, I think a lot of you deal with the same thing, similar things. But particular to this, that's sort of how it goes. Okay. So moving on. From those who are assumably mature. We give respect to the leaders. We move on to the immature. And Paul says, we exhort you brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, and be patient with anyone. These three categories of people, idle, discouraged, and weak, could be summarized as the immature. The immature. And you understand these words, idle, discouraged, and weak. All of them don't need any explanation, except for maybe idle, Idle, in my mind, uh, is like a car is in idle. Uh, it's just, it's not moving, right? And so it's not progressing forward. But that's not exactly what the Greek means. It implies more uh, disorder. Um, so therefore it is idle. So it's not a car that's just sitting there. It's a car with no gas, the emergency brakes on, it's not in drive, the door's open, and the hood is missing. That's, um, that's a disorderly car that is not moving forward. And we all know people like that. Maybe we have been that way in our lives. We just can't seem to get our stuff in order. We can't seem to be organized or, or to do what we need to do. And so therefore, we're not making any forward progress. All of these, Paul is essentially saying, are immature. 
They just haven't developed yet. And so what he says is be patient with them. Give them some time. It takes time to learn, to grow. Now, discouraged doesn't necessarily mean that you're immature, but we all know that the immature are more easily discouraged. So that's kind of the idea that he's saying here, that patience is the key. Listen, it took you a long time to be as perfect as you are, all right? So give other people at least half of that, all right? At least half of that time. Mahatma Gandhi says that to lose patience is to lose the battle. I find that interesting because Gandhi is not a Christian, was not a Christian. And so even outside of Christendom, the reality that patience is so key is important. In Ecclesiastes, it says the end of something is better than its beginning. Patience is better than pride. Be patient with those who are immature or weak might be another way to say it. So we give respect to leaders. We give patience to the immature or the weak. And one of the things that we have to keep in mind about the immature or the weak is you don't know how they got that way. Unless it's your own child, you don't know why they end up being so disorganized or why they end up being so weak in their faith or why they end up being so uh, discouraged, so easily discouraged. And I know it frustrates you, but at some point you just have to step back and go, I don't really know what's going on with this person. I'm just going to give them some patience. They may have been hurt in some regard. And so they're acting out in a certain way. That's just the reality, right? That's just, if you've ever met a human, this is the point, all right? This is part of it. So we move from those who have possibly been hurt to those who hurt. See to it that no one repays, pays, gives evil for evil to anyone, but always. Pursue what is good for one another and for all. No retaliation. You're not supposed to be paying back somebody else who has done you wrong by doing wrong to them. Instead, you need to give them grace. Give grace to the ones who have done you wrong. You did God wrong and he gave you grace, all right? So give grace to other people. Pursue what is good for them. This is similar to what I was saying last week. It's not enough just to not. So you, somebody does you wrong, you didn't do them wrong. It's not enough to stay there. You need to then do them good. You need to give them the good. You need to give them, give grace. I was in a conversation with a young man one time who I would not say is my friend. And in the text message between us, uh, he actually texted this to me, so I went back and looked at it. He says this, If you have a score to settle, I certainly wouldn't judge you. To which I responded, I don't have a score to settle. I'm a Christian. We don't settle scores. And I believe that. And I want to encourage you in that way. Listen, followers of Christ, we don't get back at people. We don't settle scores. We don't repay. God is the judge and he will judge the living and the dead. We act in love. And as you well know, that love keeps no account of wrongs. Does keep text messages though, but does not keep account of wrongs. Now, God has told us to be forgiving. God has told us to be kind, but he did not tell us to be foolish. If that dog bit you and you stick your hand back on the other side of that fence, that's your fault, all right? 
So don't be foolish. Be kind. Give grace. Give grace to those who are evil. And so we give respect to our leaders. We give, um, uh, what did I say? To the immature, we give patience. And then we give grace to those who have done us wrong. And then he shifts his mindset here a little bit to religious things. He says, rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Listen, these are corporate commands. He's not saying you do this, you do that. He's saying y'all need to do this. And the first one is to rejoice, to be happy, and to let your face know that you are happy. One of the complaints about Baptists and also the Presbyterians, I think it fits better for them than us, is that it looks like we were baptized in lemon juice. But we weren't, y'all. We have good news. We have good things to share. Church service ought to be a happy place. It ought to be a place where we make a lot of noise, where we are excited, where we let people know that we are excited because we truly do believe what it is that the Bible teaches. So guys, men, sing the songs. Sing them loud, all right? It's not about you being off key or on key. Nobody cares about that, all right? The vast majority of you cannot sing, all right? So stop pretending like that matters. It doesn't. Just sing. I've heard people say before that senior adults, older saints, they don't like things to be loud and rowdy, but that's ridiculous. If you've ever been to a Gaither concert, (laughs) if you've ever been to bingo night, And if you've ever been to one of their grandchildren's t-ball games, then you know they can be and will be loud if they're excited about it. So we ought to be loud. Some people will say that young Christians, young adults, they don't like the reflective, the, the, the giving thanks and the praying always. But again, I say that is ridiculous. All we have to do is point them, show them, the glory of God and the sacrifice that he has made on our behalf. And we can't help but respond with giving thanks. And you know how you show them that? By rejoicing, by telling them what God has done in our lives and to celebrate in that regard. We have a prayer group that meets here every Wednesday night and they've been praying through the cards that we got through the Easter uh, service and they're doing it joyfully and excited because prayer matters, because we are a church that believes. We rejoice, we give joyful worship to God. And then the last grouping of five there is to give attention to the word of God. Now I know the the phrase is pay attention. So we'll go give, 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 pay. All right, so pay attention. Don't stifle the spirit, don't despise, prophecies. Now prophecies, I know a lot of us think that prophecies mean, and behold, I had a vision and there was smoke and scary things. That's prophecy. That is. But the gift of prophecy in scripture is a person who is gifted with the ability to speak the words of God. Thus saith the Lord, this is what is true. That's a prophet. They stand up and they say it like it is. That would be kind of the phrase that we use now. So they don't despise prophecies, but test all things, hold on to what is good, and stay away from what is evil or what kind of evil. Now, I am uh, famously so brand loyal 
All right, so um, if it's Ford truck, I like it. Perception kayak, I like it. You could come to me and say, Josh, definitively, I am an expert mechanic. I am certified and licensed and all this stuff. This engine right here, this truck, is far better than this Ford truck. You could tell me that, and I 100% believe you and will still want the Ford truck, all right? That is, I'm brand loyal. I'm just that way, okay? It's just the way it is. But when it comes to the teaching, when it comes to the preaching, when it comes to Christianity, you ought not be brand loyal. So because I said it, because Josh is your, your pastor, because you like his preaching or something like that, you still should hold it up to Scripture, Find out if it tests it. Is what he is saying true? Is it honorable? Is it consistent with the testimony of Scripture? And then hold on to what is good and reject what is wrong. That's what you should do. So regardless of the preacher that you like, the author that you like, you ought to test it to Scripture. Which means you could read an author that doesn't necessarily agree with everything you say and still find it good and find things in there that are consistent with scripture and grow in that way, okay? That's what Paul is encouraging them to do. The same way that um, we on Wednesday nights, I have a group that's going through a podcast and it's about um, church leadership and the abuses of church leadership. This is what I'm telling them to do. This is what we're trying to do. We are looking at it sober-mindedly to hold on to what is good and to reject that which is evil. So, a lot of giving. We're going to give respect. We're going to give patience, give grace, give joyful worship, give attention. And all of these things are preventative measures. Here's some final comments on it. This is for all of us. Twice, Paul says, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, all of you, Give respect. All of you, make sure that nobody is retaliating. All of you, worship and be joyful. All of you, test what is being said. Test it. All of us are supposed to be doing this. And the real drive at it is in verse 13. Paul just, just, uh, just boldly asserts, be at peace among yourselves. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. And I am confident about this. And this is the warning. As a person that has been in full-time pastoral ministry for over two decades right now, the cost is peace. If you, if we do not do what this text says, one day we look up and the peace is gone. There's conflict between the congregation and the pastors. There is conflict in the groups. There's small groups at war with one another. There's individuals vying for leadership and authority outside of the design of God. There is no more peace in the land. And I am telling you, it is so worth it at this point to give respect and to give kindness and, and patience and, and grace than to try to buy peace later. It's too expensive. Peace is something that we cannot afford to lose. Also, it is important because it empowers others. Leaders are best, the best kind of leaders when followers are the best kind of followers. Y'all know that most of the scripture talks about being a good follower, not being a great leader. Most of scripture talks about being a good follower. The same thing with like, um, the immature become mature as we, as we give them patience. 
room to mess up. Guide guardrails in order that they don't hurt themselves, but at the same time, they're going to, we're going to help them figure it out. That's, people become the best they are when rooted in scripture, this is the way that we treat them. So not only is it beneficial to everybody else, but it's also beneficial to you. By God's design, he has given the church a form and a function of leadership. It's his design. It's the way that he planned it. And so leaders are a good and, and um, gracious gift from God. A mature church of people who are patient with one another, that's a good and a gracious gift from God. When enemies become friends because you gave them grace, that is a good and gracious gift from God. As God blesses our congregation, as we worship and rejoice in him, that also is a good and a gracious gift from God. And then finally, the word of God written down so that we can navigate through this life, constantly letting it divide asunder what is true and what is right and what is wrong and what is evil and holding on to the good. That is a good and a gracious gift from God. So it benefits others. It benefits you. And then finally, none of these things cost you anything. You know, when I started, I started this sermon, I said we were going to talk about generosity. And I'm sure some of you thought at some point I would be talking about the envelopes in the, the boxes back there or recurring gifts, which by the way are a great idea. Um, but those aren't, that's not, none of this has anything to do with money. None of this has anything to do with pennies and dimes and dollars. None of it. Every one of these are completely free. Every one of these. You give respect in love to your leaders, patience to the immature and the weak, grace to the mean and the hurtful, joyful, loud, not chaotic, but joyful worship to God and attention to the scriptures. Last year, almost one year ago, June 24th, 2021, at 1.22 a.m., so pretty much in the middle of the night, a condo complex in Surfside, Florida collapsed. There in the middle of the night, it collapsed. Most of the residents, most of the tenants were asleep in their bed. 98 people died that night and 11 others were injured. It was obviously traumatic. It was a tragedy. But the thing about it that is most confusing the thing that is sad about it, the thing that almost makes you sick is that in 2018, the ownership of the condo was told that there was a problem with the condo. Um, witnesses and after, like when daylight came, it looked like the condo had imploded in on itself, like you would do on purpose to pull down a large building. But in 2018, inspectors told the ownership and the management of the condo, according to what I had read, that there was a problem with the way that the, um, the slab was and the pool was over the top of the parking garage there and that it was causing some sort of issues. I'm not an architect or a, or a kind of person like that, an engineer, so I don't know. But it was saying that that was causing some issues and even more troubling than that in April of last year. In April of last year, it was reported that the problem had gotten much worse. So just a few months later, a condo collapses, 98 people die, 
and now they, they just destroyed the whole building. Look, you have a good church. You have a good small group, and a good ministry that you are a part of. You have good and gracious gifts from God. But if we don't do preventative maintenance, if we don't pay the small price of giving away what is free, it will cost us everything. We'll wake up one day and in the middle of the night, the whole thing imploded on itself. So let us give now to keep what we will not be able to afford later. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.